Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series, It's Just a Phase, and this week we are joined by our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Here he is with his message, It Starts at the End. Thank you for listening. You know, it's funny, Jared and I, Pastor Jared and I always, when we were planning this series out, I showed him these videos and we both kind of stared in different directions for about four minutes afterwards. They really, they really get you, don't they? Uh, especially those of you who have little children of your own, they, they, they kind of stab at you. And, and I know the past week, a lot of people were saying, we hate those videos, they make us cry. So uh, just bring Kleenex, okay? <laughs> but it reminds us of just how little precious time we have. It reminds us just how fleeting time is. And every single moment that we are breathing, every single moment that we're alive, we're to make the most of those moments. Not because we want to be some cliche Facebook statement, but because God called us to live life to its fullest. He's called each and every one of us to something bigger than ourselves. And I'm so thankful last week that Pastor Jared shared with us you know, about the kickoff of this series and how we're living in these phases and how we don't want to just survive, but we do want to thrive. Looking at the example that of children, since they are who we're called to as a church, as a community, to raise up together, not just as mother and father, but aunts, uncles, community leaders, teachers, coaches, whatever it may be, we all have a significant role to play in the lives of our young ones. I love my son and my daughter, but they're going to need to hear voices other than myself. We're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come. But I just want to remind us that there's 936 weeks in the life of a, of, a, of, a, of a young one from the time that they pop out into this earth to the time that they head off to college. And we have to leverage and make, make the most of every one of those opportunities. You know, Pastor Jared shared with us last week about the problem facing our, our Christian culture today and our American culture, really, and that's the problem of overcommitment. He shared with you about one of my hockey players who, who leaves a game to go to a game to go to a game, and I really wish he was making that up or just telling a story, but it's true. We're so focused on the next thing and so focused on where we're going that we forget where we're at. We forget to be present in the moments that we're currently living in. You know, I want to remind us that, that Jesus Christ didn't operate that way. You see, when Jesus was on his way to do something and something came up, Jesus stopped everything and instead of looking to his schedule and looking to where he was supposed to be, he looked at where he was at right now and performed the miracle that was on hand. What if he said to the woman who touched the hem of his cloak, look woman, I got an appointment, I got to be somewhere. But he didn't do that. He stopped and he was present in the current moment that he was in. Christian, Do you look to the end of everything? Are you already thinking about work tomorrow? Listen, God has a miracle for you. God has an amazing story for you to be a part of right now. Stop over committing yourselves. We do this sometimes even under the banner of good things. And listen, good things will kill you just as fast as bad things if they're not done in the right priority. God did not call you to be the Savior of the world. God called you to be obedient to the calling He has placed on your life. Listen to me. Today we're going to talk about how do we, how do we move through these phases? How do we do this successfully? 
I wish that I could offer you a suggestion for a book that has 12 programs on how to raise your kids correctly and snap overnight. They don't, they don't shave the cat or beat each other up or picky food eaters, whatever. I mean, there's no recipe. A lot of us have this in our minds that we have to be the perfect parent. And I want to tell you right now, as I've always told you all, and I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm probably going to offend everybody and make everybody mad this morning, but it's okay. I don't really care because I love you. Okay? Since we're talking about parent, let's just give the parent speech. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. That's a lie. All right? Listen to me. We're going to talk about some stuff today. I don't want to get angry emails and I don't want arguments over the semantics of my verbiage. Listen to what's being said. You can't afford to miss this. It's just a phase. You're in a phase. These kids are in a phase and and they need voices of reason. And now I'm getting into a different sermon, so we're going to jump back. But we, we, we get into these, this mindset that, that we as a church, we've, we get so busy, we get so preoccupied, and we lose track of what's coming up, or we lose track of where we're at, that we focus on what's coming up, and we're not present in the current moments. And God has something bigger for us than that. God's called us not to just simply leave an inheritance for our family. God's called us to leave a legacy for our family. There's a difference. An inheritance is just simply stuff where a legacy reminds us that we're a part of a story that's much bigger than our own. So parents, listen to me. You are not good parents. Stop pretending to have the perfect family. You don't have the perfect family. Individual, single people, you're not good people. You're screwed up. We all are. The Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but here's the big but of the Bible, and I love it. Because listen to me, but because of what Christ did in us, we are perfected and we are made in His image. We are broken, messed up, terrible, awful, bad parents, bad people, but that doesn't matter because God reconciles us to be good parents. God reconciles us to be good people. Without God, there's nothing good in any of us. So guess what, parents? You're going to mess this up. And you know what? It's okay. We've got to stop believing the lie that perpetrates the Christian church specifically that everything has to smell like unicorns, fluffy bunny, and roses. It is messed up. We are broken, sinful creatures. There's no self-help book other than the Word of God that can help us through this. So I don't care what book you read about raising sons or 12-step program to a perfect child you have read. It's Maybe it works for one person, but listen to me. Your kids are unique. Your family members, the people you're ministering to, each are created individually and they're unique. Your success in parenting is not and found whether your kid accepts Jesus or not. Your success in parenting is found whether you're obedient or not. God's not calling you to convert your child. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And unless you get a pray grade and a a title raise, that's not you. Some of the best parents in the world that I've known have raised some of the worst children. And they've raised some of the best children. You have to remember, we're all individuals. We're all created uniquely. And just because you're being faithful to a style of parenting and your kid wanders away, that doesn't mean you did it wrong. 
You're not called to the perfect family. You're called to obedience to the Word of God. Please say amen to that. Do you hear me? So stop guilt tripping yourself when things don't go right. Stop beating yourself up, parent. You're not the perfect parent. But if you're raising your kid to the chief end of man, which is to bring glory to God, then you're doing it right. Your family style may look really unique. It may include weird things like board games and names for grandma and grandpa that are different. It doesn't matter. When you're honoring God, when you're raising your kids in the light of Jesus Christ, your parenting style is correct. When you're being the best husband and wife that you can be because you're being the best person you can be in the light of God, you're raising your children correct. Stop looking to everybody else for the example and look to the example of the Word of God. Our culture perpetrates this lie that happiness is the chief end and the goal of all of our kids. Listen to me. If happiness is the only goal you have for your family, you're robbing them of something so much greater that they can be a part of. The end goal in life is not and should not be for you or the people around you or the people you're ministering to to simply be happy. We live in a culture today that says, if it makes you feel good, just do it and do this and this. That's a lie from the pits of hell. This life is not about us being happy. This life is about us bringing glory to God. It's called the chief end of man. Our job in this life is to bring glory to God. It is not simply to raise brats who are spoiled. And listen, I'm not saying stuff's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a house. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. In fact, this is my daughter's room and she can't wait to get it back. (laughs) It's not wrong to have things in our life, but when we replace God with the stuff in our lives, we're living in a lie and we're living in a place that takes us to death, not a place that takes us to life. Happiness is not the chief end. Happiness is not the end result of where we want to be when we're called to glory. Please amen that. We are called to bring glory to God. And so if we're going to thrive in these phases, we have to start at a different place than where we're at right now. When we're raising our children, we start talking about what, how are we going to change the diapers or what's this? And we start talking about our parenting styles with a child. But listen, if you're about to have a baby, there's some of you in here I know who are about to pop, okay? Listen to me. Don't talk about raising a baby. Look at what you want them to look like when they leave your house. It's called imagining the end. And as Christians, whether we're parents, whether we're coaches, teachers, you get it, I'm going to keep saying that. No matter what area we're in, we should ask ourselves the questions of how do people leave us when they leave us? Do they leave better people because of what God did in my life? Or do we just leave them with stuff? Are you tracking with me? You know, there's a psychologist by the name of Chap Clark who who makes a great statement. He says this, It's going to come up here. It says, who our kids are to become is far more important than what they do with their lives. Do you catch that? Who our kids become is so much more important than just simply what they do. Are you more concerned about your kid throwing touchdowns and getting straight A's than you are them becoming a a person who brings glory to Jesus Christ? Because all too often in our culture, in our society, we get these things wrong. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Word tells us, what good is it for us to gain the whole world but lose our soul? 
So many godly Christian parents get caught up in this lie of the world and we focus on the wrong things. But we should look at the end and say that when when these kids leave our home, our prayer is that when they're alone in their dorm room for the first time by themselves and they're faced with a decision to do the right thing or do the wrong thing, that we as parents, we as youth workers, we as, as mentors, we as teachers, we as coaches have laid within them a foundation that was trusted to us in such a way that instead of making the immoral choice they make the moral choice not because of my faith but because of their faith we're raising our children in such a way that at the end they bring glory to God you know Reggie shares this great story uh, in his book about how he was sitting watching television with his... Reggie Joyner is a, the, is a, is a creator of the Orange Group, a, a ministry philosophy that we as a church work with. Jared explained it last week, but Reggie Joyner shares this story. He said he was watching a documentary with his two-year-old one time when the uh, documentary was entitled The World's Richest Kid. And he said, as he's sitting there watching this, they began to tell how this sheik out of the Middle East flew his entire family to London um, and then rented the cast of the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and had them perform for the uh, birthday party. And they flew all the kids' family and all of the kids' friends. And it was very extravagant and lavish. And it came to the tune 20-plus years ago of $1.5 million for this party. The sheik believed that if he could just bring his kid happiness in life, that, that uh, he was winning. But, you know, the truth be told, we, you know what happens. When you throw a $1.5 million birthday party for your kid, you better look out for the, what, what's next year. Reggie said that he sat there, and like many of us as parents, he thought, I'll never be able to provide for my kid in that kind of way. I'll never be able to offer my kid the stuff that that guy was able to offer his kid and he said but then God quickly corrected his heart and convicted him and reminded him that our kids don't need our stuff our kids need the Holy Spirit poured upon them through their mother and father through their grandma and grandpa through their coaches through their teachers they need to be reminded that there is something bigger than the stuff of this earth if you're throwing your kid a 1.5 billion dollar or million dollar birthday party please come talk to me All right, we've got to talk. But we do that as parents. We beat ourselves up and we start to worry more about the stuff that they're going to do in life and we fail to realize the significance of the stuff that they're going to be. Happiness is not the end goal. We have this Americanized dream in our mind of of what what the end of the of, of our lives should look like, and we get into this never-ending cycle. and And I know I've shared this with some of you before, but I'm going to share it again. We we as people we strive to be excellent, and we go to high school, and we get good grades, and we get on the sports team so that we can get a scholarship, so that we can go to college and get good grades, so that we can go on to the next level of college, so that one day we can get a good job and afford a great house, so that we can have kids who can then go to high school, who can then get good grades and get on the sports team to get into college so that then they can get into college and they can get a good job and they can get a house and have kids who can then and it's this endless cycle of over and over and over of what it's a, it's a cycle of stuff and and that stuff isn't necessarily bad as long as we remember what really matters 
What really matters is the significance that we're making for the kingdom of God. What if your child comes to you into the midst of that dream and instead of going to college says, I want to go to the military because I think there's people in the military that need to hear about God or, or I want to be a missionary or, or when you have your kid geared up to, to be a, a veterinarian, they decide they want to go work with homeless people. Is there room in our American dreams for the goodness of God? I really want to challenge our thought process there, church. Do we see the studying of Scripture as significant as the Super Bowl? Because at the end of the day, no one asks to watch Super Bowl 43 over again. They're asking for their families and they're talking about eternity. At the end of this story, we're not looking for more touchdowns or more goals or tighter ice skates. We are looking for time with family because we want to say those precious things. What is most significant in our lives? Reggie has a great quote, this Reggie Joyner guy. He says, when we imagine the end, it allows us to distinguish between what matters and what matters most. See, these things, my, my, I'm a hockey coach, my kid plays, and these are important to us because I want my kid to learn sportsmanship and teamwork, but it's not the most important. And so as we're raising our children, as we're living our life, are we making sure that the most important things, the best things, are the priority? Because all too often right now, as a culture and a society, as Christians, we often get that out of whack. You know, Moses gave us that Shema prayer that Pastor Jared talked about coming out of Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. Moses was given that to give that to the people of Israel, not so that it become a religious habit, not so that it could become a ritual thing that we just did to get out of the way. He gave that to the people of Israel to be a reminder that the people are not the center of the universe. Moses gave the Shema prayer to the people of Israel to remind them that God is the central character of the universe. And when we as Christ's church say the phrase, God is good, you say back, and I say all the time, that's not meant to be something that freaks you out or is impeding. It's to remind you that you have a God in heaven that loves you. And sometimes we look at church and we look at growing spiritually as these, these tasks that are just impossible and hard to do. Listen to me. You are not the center of the universe. God is. And sometimes we just have to, to man up and we have to go and we have to do these things. Not because it's a dutiful religious thing that we do, but because God is the center of the universe. And sometimes we as families will unintentionally teach that the Bible is boring. We will teach that the Bible can be secondary, that it's always going to be there. Listen to me. The grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of the cross, it covers a multitude of sins. But don't cheap His grace. Don't make it something cheap. Because it came at a very, very high price. Don't blow this word off. If we want to know how to imagine the end, if we want to know what it looks like for us to bring, bring glory to God, then we need to be in the word of God. Not as some dutiful task, but as an opportunity to grow as people for the sake of passing on to the generations to come the goodness that God is. Do you know why Christians today think the Bible's boring? Because it was taught to them that way. It's time for us as Christians to claim it back for the romantic, epic love letter that it really is. 
as a church, we're called to, to continue on this message. I love what we see in the book of 2 Timothy. First and 2 Timothy is this epic moment, similar to the Shema prayer, where Paul has entrusted Timothy as the bishop in the church of Ephesus, and he's entrusted him with the ministry there, and Timothy is a young guy. And, and listen, we need to be mentoring one another. And Paul's demonstrating that now when he leaves Timothy with these words in 2 Timothy 2.15 when he says, he says to Timothy this, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as a one approved, a workman who can, correctly, who can correctly handle the word of truth. He's saying, Timothy, it's not by your works that you get into heaven. God loves you. But for the love of God, strive to be one who handles this word correctly. He goes on then to describe to him the evils that are in the world around him. And, and I want to say this. You know, every generation of Christians has believed that they're living in the end times. And I want to say this. It's, it's okay for us to think that. And it's okay for us to operate that way because the Bible tells us, live every moment as though it's your last. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ because this may be our last moment. But he's explaining these things to Timothy. He's reminding Timothy. He's pouring into Timothy just as you and I are to pour into one another. He continues on and starting in chapter 3, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They're going to be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Man, that just seems really harsh to throw disobedient to parents and with all those other things, doesn't it? But the Bible takes parenting seriously. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Did you hear that? It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. They will have a form of godliness. Do we see that today? Do we see that within the church? That should terrify us, that there's all kinds of movements within the church that want to say, whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. That's a lie from the pits of hell. That's what Paul's talking to Timothy about here. They have a form of godliness. They like the concept of Jesus, but they're not surrendering to Him because a surrendered heart does not surrender to their happiness. They surrender to what the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. God created you the way you are for a reason. And don't believe the lies of this world that tell you you have a choice in the matter. That doesn't mean we don't love people. But when we simply tell people happiness is the chief end, that's abusive to them. So we as a church are called to live for what is right, what is good. In fact, Paul goes on to tell Timothy that if you encounter people like that, have absolutely nothing to do with them. And don't worry, because as Proverbs says, if you let a fool speak long enough, he'll only prove it. And he continues in chapter 3 where he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last day. People will be lovers of themselves. Oh, excuse me. Uh, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. He said, you know of my persecutions, my sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Does it sound like Paul's happy? Does it sound like Paul has had a fluffy bunny, easy road ahead of him? 
In fact, what he's telling Timothy is the exact opposite. He says, when you decide to stand for what's truth, when you decide to stand for what's right, you will be persecuted. You will have hardships. But I love what he says coming up here. I love what he says to Timothy. He says, in in fact, in everyone who wants to live, uh, excuse me, Iconium, Lystra, the persecution I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. It's not going to be more happy. It is going to be good. It is going to be right. The journey with the Lord is good. It is right. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from whom you have learned it. Do you see this deposit being made into Timothy from all of his mentors, his parenting, the coaching? Do you see this? See, what happened with Paul and with all these people surrounding Timothy is they understood this imagine the end concept. Paul's reminding him of the heritage that he comes from, and now he states this to him. He says, And how from infancy you have been made known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we talk about the phases of life, How do we make it through the phases of life? How do we thrive through the phases of life? We imagine the end. And the end of this life is to bring glory to God. And that looks like us as men and women of God being thoroughly equipped for every good work that may pop up at any given moment. When we imagine the end, it means as Christians we're always prepared. And not only are we always prepared, we're raising the next generation, just like Paul did with Timothy, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus was always ready to be present in the moment. He stopped what he was doing because he was thoroughly equipped. Are you thoroughly equipped this morning, church? Are you prepared by being who God has called you to be for the sake of ministering to others, whether they're our children, whether they're they're the people we work with? Parents, have you thought about what your kid looks like on that first night in college by himself? Or are you too worried about the diaper rash? You've got to take care of your diaper rash. Hear me out. But don't focus on the wrong thing. I hear parents will say this. They'll say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm reading these books on how to raise children. Don't raise children. Raise men and women. Don't look here, but look here. And when we as a church can come together as a community and we can recognize that we are called together for the sake of equipping one another for the good work that God has for us, we're going to see this area change in the name of God. Parents, are you equipping your kids? Aunts, uncles, grandma, nana, papa, peepoo, whatever you're called. (laughs) No matter how many of those I make up, there is always somebody in the congregation who's actually called that. Are you preparing those young ones? Listen to me. I wish I had a dad who would pour into my life. I recently lost the two men who did that for me. I need someone pouring into my life. Because I'm just a child. You're just a child. And just as we need to be pouring into others, we need to have others pouring into us. So this affects every age group in here. We need to imagine the end. In church, do we leave people better for the kingdom of God when we encounter them? Or do we leave them stuck in the mire of this world? Let's pray. God, we love you.
We pray, Lord, that as believers, the Spirit would lead us to where we have to go. We thank You for the way that Paul spoke to Timothy and for the way that he encouraged him. And we thank You that that because of that heritage, because of, of the people You put in Timothy's life, he was equipped for all the good works that were about to come his way. And so as parents, as people in the community, remind us that we're not perfect. Remind us that we're broken. Remind us that we can't do this on our own. And help us, God, to trust you, to read your word, to honor you with our heart, with our, with our mind, and with our body. May that be ever-present, and may we ever bring glory to you as we imagine the end, and as we don't just survive or make it through these phases, but we make every moment count. And for your glory, we as a family come together. Because the chief end and the glory is to bring glory to you. And so may it be said of us as a church people that we bring glory to God. Amen.